Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're starting a new series this morning, and we're marching towards the cross That's what we're doing. And for the next four weeks, Pastor Jacob and myself are going to be marching towards the cross. And really, we're going to culminate, culminate in Good Friday and Easter resurrection service where we're going to have a special guest, Josh McDowell, world-renowned apologist and best-selling book author, is going to be here all of the weekend to begin to bless us with an amazing, amazing Easter message and Good Friday message. And we get to march towards the cross. And as we are marching to the cross this morning, I want to ask you a question. What happened on the cross? It's not a trick question. I'm not like baiting you in. You're not going like, did something weird happen that I didn't think of, Pastor? No, no, no. What happened on the cross? Jesus died. We, we know that. I mean, even if you don't come to church, you've heard about that. But yes, Jesus died physically on the cross, But how many know the decision to lay down his life happened before the cross? Matter of fact, it happened in a garden. You see, that's where it really all started. As we marched towards the cross, it's starting in the garden. That's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And before we dive into that garden this morning, which we're going to look at in Mark's gospel, this morning, I want us to look back at the first garden. Because God reminds us of something very special here. And I love what God does, is that he's a beautiful artist in his storytelling, in creating a masterpiece. Is that we look back in Genesis and it starts in the garden, where Adam and Eve fell and we all suffered for it. They chose death for us all when we didn't have a choice. But then God brings it full circle. He comes back to another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus chose to lay down his life to save us all. That's good news this morning. It's good news because where it started in the garden and it ended in the garden, Jesus makes it complete in the garden. And it's amazing what God does because he brings these garden situations in our lives and he makes them almost a decision point. Think about it for a second, right? You have these two gardens, the Garden of Eden and the Garden of Gethsemane. Thousands of years apart, Adam and Eve in the creation of the world. Then you have Jesus about to go to the cross, and they're both in gardens. But the difference is, it's a stark difference of really where they are. Because Adam and Eve, it fell apart, but Jesus brought it back together. The Garden of Eden was man's relationship with the Father was broken because of rebellion. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, man's relationship to the Father was restored because of submission. And we're seeing these amazing, polar opposite, contrasting gardens about where, what God is doing. And Jesus said something in the Garden of Gethsemane, we're going to read in a second. But Jesus said, thy will be done. Adam and Eve said, my will be done. He said, there's a big difference in that. And this morning, as we are marching towards the cross, we're really looking at where it all started. It all started for Jesus in the garden. So we're gonna look this morning, we're gonna read some scripture. 
And I'm going to give you a few points, and we're going to close this morning. But let's take a closer look at what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it'll be up on the screens. We're going to read the account of what Mark said really happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what it is. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. It says, They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not I, what I will, but what you will. Verse 37, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he found some of them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, Jesus said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Maybe you can relate to this story because how many of us have been in these pressing moments that Jesus was experiencing agony? In Luke's account, what we see in the gospel, if you were to kind of compare it, it said that Jesus began to sweat blood. Listen to me, in my NFL career, I've sweat a lot of things. I haven't sweat blood yet. That's a whole different kind of agony. But there was a real pressing moment that began to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus And there's a pressing moments in our lives as well where you want to be anywhere else but that moment. You can think back at those moments where maybe it was a a divorce. Maybe it's an eviction notice or the final bill came in. Or maybe it was the call that you lost your job or that a child has gone further away. And you remember those moments vividly and they are those pressing moments that begin to define who we are. They began to make us who we are. But those pressing moments, how many know, are terrible. Terrible. And a lot of you might go, what? I would never wish that upon my enemy. Those are those pressing moments that Jesus went through right there in the garden. It's what I call those garden moments. Now, I'm not talking about planting nice, you know, nice things there. I'm talking about these garden moments where there's a pressing going on, an agony, a struggle, where your pain is so deep you don't know what to do. I remember one of those very vividly. It happened about a year and a half ago. For those of you who haven't been here to Our Savior's Church long, we, we planted, my wife and I were fortunate to be able to launch the Youngsville campus back in 2019 before COVID happened. And I'll remember that day like it was forever because what's amazing about that day is I was so worried if anybody would show up the next day when we launched then a thousand people came out of nowhere and showed up on the first Sunday and God was moving and what was so great that first day is I'm just like I'm exhausted feel like having a baby like I just birthed something I have no idea what that's like ladies so don't stone me okay 
But I just felt like, man, all this hard work, effort, energy came in. And you're riding on a cloud. I preached that, that morning. And then that afternoon, was able to rest with the family. And I get a call. Hey, can you come to the hospital and pray with this family? And I'm just like, okay. I quickly came down from cloud nine and got really sobered up. Because as I walked into this situation in the hospital, I didn't know what I was getting into. I walked in and all I saw was a mama there with her two-year-old son and he was dead. And in this hospital, I began to have, feel the anguish and the agony and the pressing garden moment that this family was going through when they lost their child. I'm in there and I'm going, what do I even do right now? What do I say? What can I say in those moments? But just feel that pressing and the weight. I did, their, I did the little boy's funeral shortly after. And the pressing and the agony wasn't going away for that family anytime soon. And as I held that mama in my arms, as she's holding her child, her lifeless child in my arms, I just begin praying because that's the only thing you can do when those pressing moments begin to happen. But the crazy part about it is this, is that in all of our pressing moments and you have your own, there's always a decision that has to be made. And here's the decision. Here's what I want you to look. It's either we operate out of the Garden of Eden or we operate out of the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the choice. It's the choice to say, am I going to rebel against God or am I going to walk with God? It's the choice to say, am I going to hide from God or am I going to humble myself before God? You see, these are the contrasting gardens that we have. And in these pressing moments, Adam and Eve were pressed when the devil came to them and said, you can be like God. Just like Jesus was pressed in that moment when he said, I don't want to do this anymore, God. And there were choices that were made there. And Adam and Eve said, I want to be like God. Jesus said, I want to be with God. And there's a difference in it. There's a difference in our posture. There's a difference in our heart. And it doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It just means that the pain is doing something for us. It's making something out of us. Because let me share you with these some things. The word Gethsemane actually means oil press. So what's so ironic is that Jesus, in his greatest pressing moment, wasn't on the cross. It was in his decision to march to the cross. And here's what it was. His most pressing moment was in a garden of oil press. Now, now, for us, we, we're going like, what does that even mean? I just use extra virgin olive oil in my, you know, in my salad and stuff. I don't even, what I cook with it. That, I don't even know how to get that. Well, back in ancient times, here's what they did. Is that at the Mount of Olives, where there are a ton of olive trees, was the Garden of Gethsemane. And at the Garden of Gethsemane was basically where they pressed those olives after they picked them. And what they would do is a big donkey would pull this big mill around and it would crush these olives to a pulp and it would crush them over and over again. And then they would set these olives out and they would lay giant weighted slabs 
on top of them, these huge rocks. And, and all of a sudden, it would just lay on him. And it would squeeze out every single drop. Listen to me. And the oil would run down and they would collect it into jars. Now, now think about this for a second. Jesus is being pressed in the oil press. Do you see what God does? Like, you can't make this stuff up, right? Nobody can draw this up but God. And he was weighted down by my sin, your sin. The sins of the world were crushing down upon him before he was going to go to the cross. And we look at the cross, and it's a monumentous moment where we say yes and amen, but we forget about the garden. We forget about the pressing in the garden, the decision in the garden. And we have those moments in our own lives because for you and for me, the Garden of Gethsemane represents the times when the oil of life is pressed out of us and something else is produced that is even greater. It's produced even greater because there's always purpose in the pressing. There's always purpose in it. It does something for us if we allow it to do something to us. Now, you might be going, I get it, Pastor Chris. Jesus went to the cross, saved the world. That's great. But what is this pressing doing for me? I want to give you three points this morning of what it's, what it's all about. And I, I want you to really take this and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you this morning as we dive into this. What does the pressing produce? Number one, the first thing is this, and then we're going to close after number three. The pressing produces power. Everybody say power. Come on, say it like you mean it. Power power. It produces power. How many know life has a way? Life itself has a way of pressing the life out of us. Amen? I mean, goodness gracious, 2020, if it didn't show the pressing, I don't know what will. And some of you might be saying, Pastor Chris, I feel so broken and empty right now. I feel so crushed. I feel like an olive in the olive press where I'm just nothing. Here's my response to you. That's a good thing. Here's why. Because where you end, God begins. Where you get low, listen to me, God will get high. And he will bring you high. You see, you, have, you and I have to end and be in our proper place for God to begin. We can never come before God proud. He will always say, I don't know who you are. Because that's not your place and that's not God's place. A couple years ago, I have young kids. I have five young kids, ages nine and under. I don't even say their ages anymore because I feel like it changes every other day. But nine and under, five young kids. I have three beautiful boys, and they're amazing. And I remember my oldest son, when we started, like, you know, playing football together and doing, like, he was really getting active. He was about five or six years old at the time. And I remember that, that uh, you know, I would call him, like, dude, hey, dude, come over here. Hey, man, come on. You know, just, like, kind of being buddy-buddy with him, loving on him. And one day, he, he called me bro. This is real pastor dad talk, okay? He called me bro. He's like, hey, bro. And I was like, I looked at him, I said, what did you say? And it was one of those moments, like as a dad, I'm going like, I don't even know how to take this right now. Like it was almost like, like, like was, what are you trying to say? Are we friends? Is this what you're like? I was more shocked than anything else. As I gathered myself together, I got down on a knee and I just, I wanted to speak really softly because I knew it, he wasn't trying to do anything malicious or anything. And I just said, hey, buddy, 
you know I love you. Yeah, daddy. I said, but never call me bro again. <laughs> and he said, why, daddy? I said, because you're going to have many bros. You only got one father. One father. And I told him this. Listen to me. And this goes with our own heavenly father. He can't be what we need him to be if we don't take the place where we need to take our place. Does that make sense? I mean, I want you to understand that God is God. And when we try to be like God or try to control the things that only God can control, guess what? It always goes wrong. But when we come to the end of ourselves and we slide ourselves underneath God, he goes, now I can pour out my power and my spirit upon you. Because listen, he can't fill you up when you're full of you. I'm going to let that one land. He can't fill you up when you're still full of you. That's why weakness always is attractive to God. It's why Paul celebrated weakness in the New Testament. He celebrated it in his letters to the Corinthian church where he says this. He said, so I'm not defeated by my weaknesses, but delighted. That's what he said. I'm delighted in them. For when I feel my weaknesses and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles, with pressing, with the pressures of life, listen to this, on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. You see, when we take our proper place, guess what? Power can be poured into us. It's like putting a cup under a faucet. If you leave it outside the faucet, it's never going to fill up. But if you put it under that power and you lower it a little bit, it's going to fill up and actually it's going to overflow with power. Does it mean that the pressing is going to hurt less? No. It just means the pressing is going to do something for you. And it's squeezing something out of you. Because when the pressing weakens us to the point where God is all we need and all we want, guess what? We are in the right place then. Because there comes power, power in the pressing. Number two is this. Write this down. The pressing produces passionate prayer. The pressing produces passionate prayer. In the Garden of Eden, we see that when Adam and Eve, they sinned, they hid from God. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see that Jesus ran to God. There was a difference. Both felt the pressing both had the opportunity and the decision to either come before God or to run away from God. And Adam and Eve hid while Jesus ran. But not only did he run, what we read in just Mark's gospel says that he went a little further. Sometimes, listen to me, we need to go a little further with God. Sometimes it said that Jesus, he said, sit here, disciples, you guys pray. And he, going a little further, it said that Jesus fell face down. Desperate times call for desperate measures, don't they? And passionate prayer becomes, begins to come out of the, the pressing. And as Jesus threw himself down before the Father, he didn't say, hey, God, are you there? Are, are you there? Can you maybe, maybe, maybe spare just some of this suffering that I'm going to go through? If it's inconvenience to you, I don't want to do it. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll go through with it. But like, if it's possible, like he didn't say that. Jesus got real with the Father. He didn't have some pious prayer that was just religious. It was real, honest prayer. He came before God 
three times. He didn't just go up and just say, God, please take this from me. No, no, no. He said, take this cup from me, God. I don't want it. It said that he went back again. I don't want this, God. Take it from me. The third time, one more time, I'm going to tell you, I don't want this cup. And the cup represents the wrath of God. And so our sins had to be paid for one way or another. And Jesus stepped in the way and took the full wrath of the Father to pay for our sins, past, present, and future. And what he didn't want to do, he loved us. And it's not saying he wanted to get away from saving us. He didn't want to be separated from the Father and feel the full wrath of him. He was so connected with the Father that he just goes, I don't want to be even away from you. I don't want to, I don't want to do this. So many of us, we want to pretend when we come before God in prayer. We think that we have to like fold our hands this way or even some, some of them, you know, interlock the hands. This is super holy. This is kind of holy, you know. And, and we like, we're really just like, oh, but if I do this and if I keep my eyes open, it's not a prayer. And I'm like, really? Who told you that? You know, and bow, bow your heads. We have to bow. If we don't bow and close our eyes, he can't hear us. Like we really, like we think we have to get in the right, right posture. We think we have to like find the right tune and like almost like a radio station. You got to find it just right. When God just wants us to come before him and lay it out. I'm disappointed, God. I'm, listen to me. You're saying, I'm disappointed. Tell him that you're disappointed about the marriage that didn't work out. Tell him you're disappointed about the father that you had or didn't have. Tell him you're disappointed about the boss who keeps annoying you over your job. Tell him you're disappointed about the financial struggle that you are in. Tell him. Because if you can't tell him, who are you going to tell? He already knows it. What's so funny to me is we think we're holding something back from God when he already knows it. He's just waiting for us to lay it out for him. And you know what he'll always do? He's such a good father that he'll continually put us in pressing situations where we have to come before him and get honest. And he'll go, finally, you're getting honest with me. Because broken prayers are the best prayers. I'm at my best in prayer when I'm at my lowest point. There is a desperation because honesty is passion, y'all. It's not loud prayers, spitting prayers. It's honest prayers. Coming before the Father. I know there are many parents in here. Don't you want your kids to come to you and just be honest with you? You don't want them to stuff it down and hold it in and they don't have to be right with their words. They can just come to you and they can just get it out because God is the same way. God doesn't want eloquent prayers. He wants honest prayers. He wants us to share that heart. It's King David all over again. If you read the Psalms, Psalms is a it's basically a lament. It's a, it's, it's a rejoicing and, a, and it's a sorrowful time for David who pins a lot of those Psalms in the Bible. And if you read those, it sounds like a whiny teenager all the time, right? Like you read the beginning, first three verses, David's like, where are you, God? I can't see you. You know, where's my, is my soul so downcast? It's like all of these weird, like you're going, who is this? He's a God, man after God's own heart. God. But you keep reading. And as you keep reading, as he gets honest with God, watch this, he gets closer to God. 
And the great part about it is we think if we're honest with God, it'll dishonor God. That couldn't be further from the truth. When you're honest with God, it brings you closer to God. And as you get closer to him, you get his perspective. And when you get his perspective, then you realize the pain you are going through, the pressing you are going through is doing something in you that cannot be done any other way. And you get a whole new view of what God is doing. A lot of it has to do with the way that we see God. Some of us still see God with this long white beard, a staff, and a big long pointing finger looking like this, you know. <laughs> Don't do this. Don't, thou shalt not. And you think he's just doing this. When really, I don't care what the father looks like. His arms aren't pointing and it's not holding a staff. His arms are open to say, I'm right here for you. I'm right here for you. Honest prayers, passionate prayers. So we can say, thy will be done, not my will be done. Number three, and here's where we close this morning, is the pressing produces dependency on his promises. Listen to me. This is so important as we move forward, as we, as we journey through the march to the cross over these next four weeks, before we hit Easter, before we hit Good Friday and Easter Resurrection Sunday, the pressing produces dependency on his promises. Real faith, listen to me, isn't measured by how good you are. It's measured by how dependent you are on him. It's measured on our dependency upon him. How much are we willing to trust him and depend upon what he says and go, God, I rely upon you because the pressing of life, how many know, will all of a sudden make your vision go a little blurry. <laughs> Listen, I've been pressed before physically. You're going like, what do you mean? Okay. I was underneath a pile for 63 seconds in Super Bowl 44. Okay. <laughs> where 25 guys were on top of me. All right. <laughs> And you're going, wait, there's only 22 in a game. Yeah, they came off the sideline and jumped on the pile. Okay. I know what pressing feels like. I know what that weight. And like, you're just, it's blurry. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You don't know who you can trust. And you're trying to hold on to what you think is yours when we need to let go and we need to hold on to what is God's. Those things we can't see. Because God spoke the world into existence and we can see that. We can walk outside these doors, see this beautiful sun, the world, the creation. We look at one another and go, man, God made you. That's amazing. And we see his design in everything. But it's so difficult, listen to me, to see the promises of God when they're not there yet. Because not only did God create and speak it out, but his promises create the future of what it will be. It's almost like a trust fall. I know it's cheesy. We've all, if you're part of a company or team, or you've all done those cheesy trust falls where you're like, I'm falling. And you fall and they're like, we, you trust us. Like, and it's silly and it's funny, but there's some truth to that when it comes to our dependency upon his promises. Because it's easy to, to trust in something that you can see, something that's there, something that's tangible. But when you have your back to the promises and there's this pressure and this pressing and God's saying, I want you to fall 
And I want you to trust that what I said, I will do. Hold on to the promises, even when you can't see them in your falling. But God, I'm being pressed by my financial situation. God, I'm being pressed by my kids and they're testing my limits. I'm being pressed by my spouse. I'm being pressed all around. And he's saying, can you hold fast to that which you cannot see? Yet I spoke that into existence. You won't be able to see your child's salvation right now. But God said, it's going to come one day. Your husband's healing, it's coming one day. Deliverance from that addiction, it's coming one day. But you have to hold on to the promise. And in the pressing, it gets us to see what he is doing. And to trust in that which we cannot see. It's why Paul so plainly said, he said this, so we don't see, we don't look, excuse me, at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The pressing produces dependency on what God said would happen. I love receiving communion this morning, and I'm so glad that we were able to do that together as a spiritual family because there's something really intimate about it. I remember growing up in the church that I went to, we would receive communion every Sunday, and I didn't fully understand what that meant until I got older, really what communion was all about. And it's this beautiful picture, representation of the body and the blood, and us having a physical reminder of what Jesus did on the cross. But it's really not just for us to look backwards. Yes, we want to remember what happened on Good Friday. It was good for us because his body was broken. It was good for us because his, his blood was spilled out. But communion reminds us not just of the past, it reminds us of what is to come as well. That when we receive that body and that blood, it's a reminder of what he did, but it's a reminder that he said, this has to happen because the end is near and it's a good thing. I'm going to come back soon. And here's what he said. Just as I left, I'm going to come back just like that. So this pressing that you're feeling right now, hold fast to the promise that the world may be messed up, but God is coming back to make old things new again, to make things righteous again to make that weeping turn into rejoicing, to make that tragedy turn into triumph when he comes back. And the pressing in your life and my life will not be over until he comes back. And so it's crucial for us to understand what it means to hold fast to his promises, to be dependent upon who he is and what he will do. It can be difficult at times. And I'm not naive enough to think because you come to church that you have it all figured out. Matter of fact, I hope you're coming to church because you don't have it all figured out. And in this place, I believe, listen to me, in our nation, the pressing is just starting for the church. 
And I don't want you to fear that going, oh, I gotta protect my kids. No, 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 you have to prepare your kids. Listen to me. Because the pressing's gonna happen one way or another. We just get to produce something out of it instead of resisting it alone. And you will have moments, garden moments in your life to choose to operate out of one of the gardens where you lean into the pressing and say, thy will be done, or you run away from God and said, my will be done. But in that moment, in that catalyst moment where God is pressing upon you, life is pressing upon you, we have a choice to harness his power. We have a choice to pray honest, passionate prayers. And we have a choice to hold fast to the promises that this will be over one day and it will be good when he comes back. Yes, you can give him praise. Because what God, listen to me, excuse me, what the enemy meant for evil, God is using for good. I want to pray over those right now. That right now you're in a pressing moment. You're in a pressing season. And you feel it all around you. You feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And you're wanting to resist and to fight. And you're wondering why God? Why, why, why? This morning, I want you to get a new taste of his glory and I want you to get a new taste of his presence. Not to say why and to resist, but to, to endure the pressing and watch the amazing things that come out of it. So Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus, not just for those in this room, but those that are watching online or even listening on a podcast. Or maybe they're in our Lafayette Correctional Facilities, God, right now, and there's a pressing moment that's happening. I thank you, Jesus that we're not alone in that. Your promise reigns true. You'll never leave us or forsake us. The lie of the enemy is to say that we're alone, that we need to be independent, God. That is deception at its core. But the garden shows us unity of a triune God, that we need each other. Lord, that we need your power, that this pressing is producing more than we can ask or imagine, God. So I pray we yield to the pressing, that we say, thy will be done. It doesn't mean that it's going to feel good or it's going to fix good, God. But if it makes us closer to you, we say, thy will be done, God. And we say thank you when it feels so hard to say thank you, God. And we rejoice even when we should be weeping. We know you're a faithful father who loves us, protects us, and wants what's best for us, God. So Holy Spirit, have your way right now that even as we leave, that your presence would go with us Monday through Saturday, there would be an overwhelming sense of peace in the pressing. There would be an overwhelming sense of your presence in the pressing. God, thank you. You're not done working. And we pray bold prayers this morning, God, that we welcome the pressing because it's doing something to us. We thank you, God. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed this morning. So for some of you, you just need to sit in that moment and allow the Spirit to speak to you. For others, God is calling you back home. pressing is producing something in you where you have nowhere to go but up. 
It's the moment where you reach the end of yourself and you say, God, I need you. And the first time it happens, you reach up to God and say, I surrender all. It's called being born again when you just, you acknowledge your sins. You acknowledge you cannot, cannot get closer to God on your own. And it's only through him that you receive salvation. It's called being born again. That God, the Holy Spirit, transforms you from the inside out. This morning, I want you to, I'm gonna ask you to participate in that. As God is moving, you're only born again once, the Bible says. Just like you're born physically once, you have a spiritual birthday, that you get a new birth, that you begin again. And you only need to do it one time. How do I do that, Pastor Chris? It's as simple as A, B, C. We just admit we're sinners in need of a Savior. B, believe that what Jesus did for us on the cross was enough to cover our past, present, and future sins. And C, we confess him as Savior. He saved us. But as Lord, he is boss over our lives. You can press away. This morning, in an act of faith, you surrender that by raising your hand. I'm not gonna embarrass you. No one else is looking. I'm the only one looking. And we're gonna pray a prayer this morning. I'm not gonna ask you to come down front. I don't wanna embarrass you, nothing. But this is the way that we participate by saying, Pastor Chris, I I wanna be born again. Today is my surrender moment. And I'm ready to start a relationship with Jesus. I don't want religion anymore. I don't want rules and restrictions. I want a relationship with Jesus. And I'm gonna pray a prayer. Matter of fact, we're all gonna pray a prayer together. But if that's you this morning, you're going, Pastor Chris, include me in that born-again prayer. Today, I want today to be my spiritual birthday. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, he brought you here for a reason. It's not a mistake. Two, you're called to something more for something more. Three, I want you to raise your hand now. Pastor Chris, include me in that born-again prayer. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five. Thank you. Six, awesome. Seven, eight. Thank you. Nine, wonderful. You can put your hands down. One more opportunity. If you said, I should have raised my hand. If you raise it once, you don't ever have to raise it again. It's the glory of God. He died once and for all for us. But if you're here this morning saying, I wish I would have raised my hand, I want you to raise it now. Anyone else? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Church, with all those that raised their hand, we're going to pray this prayer together as a church family. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go, and rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me, God is my Father, Jesus is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up for all those who prayed that prayer this morning?